world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Caring for others is good. It's what makes us human and a fully functioning member of society. But is there such a thing as caring too much? This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, compassion fatigue expert Patricia Smith talks about the hidden dangers of caring too much. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert, Diane Berardi. Patricia Smith is a certified compassion fatigue specialist. As founder of the Compassion Fatigue Awareness Project, she writes, speaks, and facilitates workshops nationwide in service of those who care for others. She presented a TEDx talk entitled, Navigating the Path to Wellness, Compassion Fatigue and Caregiving, and has authored several books, including the award-winning To Weep for a Stranger, Compassion Fatigue in Caregiving. Compassion Fatigue is not just for caregivers of people, which is why her new book, Stress, Compassion Fatigue, and Burnout Handling in Veterinary Practice. Patricia Smith, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Well, thank you for having me. I'm up here dancing. That music got me going. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> we love that you're energized. That's great. Yes, yes. One way to lower your compassion fatigue levels is to dance. That's, Believe me. Ah, uh, see, here we go. So, could you tell our listeners what is compassion fatigue? Okay, I'm going to start by actually reading a very brief. Uh, definition that was uh, written by Dr. Charles Figley, who's the world's leading traumatologist, and this was coined in 1995. Wow. And he, he said that so succinctly, I, it's better just to listen to it from, from the horse's mouth, so sure. to speak. Compassion fatigue is a state experienced by those helping people or animals in distress. It is an extreme state of tension and preoccupation with the suffering of those being helped to the degree that it can create a secondary dramatic stress for the helper. So compassion fatigue is not that you're just too tired of giving, which that may be true too. Right. It is actually a secondary traumatic stress. By caregiving, by, by being empathetic and seeing people or animals in pain or suffering, as compassionate people, we open our hearts to that and we try to change it. And uh, we are at risk for compassion fatigue. Now, who is at risk? I mean, is it personality? Is it, you know... Some people, it seems, aren't, you know, can just go about caregiving, you know, professionals, uh, some nurses, you know, can, can do it and, and it seems not be affected and others are. Well, I mean, the answer to that is a two-prong two answer. Number one, perhaps they uh, are not at risk because they've learned the skills, the necessary skills 
to keep their levels very low okay. and also have very high levels of compassion satisfaction, which is the joy we get from doing our caregiving work. Okay. And the other thing is they may not have the, the symptoms and the, ca- what, the causes of, of compassion fatigue. And I can talk to you about those right now if you'd sure, like. Sure, yeah. Those of us who have high levels of compassion fatigue are what they call other-directed Okay. At some point in our lives, in our formative years, we learned that putting the needs of others was more important than putting our own needs first. And that is probably the number one thing. And where yeah. did this come from? Unfortunately, it comes from dysfunction in the family unit. And I always tell my participants, you know, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shamed. We all come from something. Right. But, you know, if indeed you were a little one in a family and yeah. you became the caregiver of the parents due to, uh, you know, sexual abuse, uh domestic abuse, uh, whatever, um, you learned to take care of everyone outside of yourself because you were so busy trying to balance everything. So we grow up with this this whole idea in our, our minds that we are other-directed and we take care of others instead of ourselves. And, and, the, and the whole thing about that is if we don't care for ourselves first, we have nothing left to give others. Yeah. And we can fall into unhealthy caregiving which brings out this set of symptoms. The other thing is uh, providing service to others with stress or work-related trauma. You know, people who are in helping professions are actually being traumatized by the work they do every day. Uh, probably a lack of coping skills. There's a very good chance as little people when we were, you know, during our formative years, right. we were not uh, modeled good behavior, good uh, financial help, good uh, decision-making, uh, good exercise, good, you know, all of those things that are so important, the standards of self-care. And so those are just some of the things. And, of course, what's really come up lately is these adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs, and that's the unresolved childhood trauma. And what we do is we carry that into adulthood, and it leaves a big hole in us, and that's where compassion fatigue takes hold. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it sounds like we should, as young children, be taught how to uh, self-care. Oh, this is this is happening everywhere. Our educators are all. I'm, I speak to educators all the time and counselors. They are overwhelmed because they're being asked to be psychologists, nurses, parents, yeah. and they're trying to teach. So what they're trying to do is is uh, devise, uh, you know, classwork that is trauma related, so that they know how to take care of these kids, because these adverse childhood experiences create all kinds of symptoms. It's amazing. And I, I I don't know, you know, growing up for me, I didn't have uh, any experiences that you were talking about. But I think I don't know if it had anything. I mean, anything to do with I'm the middle child. I mean, ah, I'm a middle child as well. <laughs> and and I, I, for some reason, like I, I just have to please had to please everyone. Yes. Yes. And yeah, all of that has to do with it. Introvert, extrovert, it all plays a part, you know, in, in whether you're at risk for this or not. And uh, my middle son is a, is a, my middle son, he's a marine biologist up here in Friday Harbor where I live. And uh, sometimes he just comes to me, looks at me and he says, remember, I'm the middle child. And I say, yes, so am I. <laughs> and yeah, no, you're exactly right. Our placement in the family is so very important in our relationship with our siblings is very important. All of these things play a part in this, but mostly it's the trauma. Okay, yeah. You know, it is a secondary traumatic stress syndrome. It's amazing, and um, 
you were talking about in 1995 this came out. We don't hear about this today. Well, here, here's what happened. It, it, the psychologists, the academics have known about it for a long time, vicarious trauma. You know, when psychologists and psychiatrists are trained, they learn all of this. They know all of these terms. But what happens is it doesn't get down to us, to us regular folks. Right. Uh, it stays up there in academia, and, and they, they know so much about this. And the way I first got into this, actually, my background is journalism. I was in college textbook publishing, and I wrote for the San Jose Mercury News for 20 years. And uh, I decided after my daughter went off, my last one, I was a single mom when my daughter Elizabeth went off to college, I decided I wanted to do something with animals because I love animals so much. Yeah. And uh, I went into shelter work as a training and development manager in a huge shelter in San, San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I found out about this whole thing, uh, you know, what was going on. And I was asked to do a shelter-wide training. This was back in the 1990s at wow. the beginning. And when the ED asked me to do the training, I said, I, I'm happy to do it. And I thought, I don't know what she's talking about. So I went upstairs <laughs> and I Googled. And what came up was the academic work of Dr. Charles Figley, who was at uh, Florida State Traumatology Institute at the time. And I told him I was working with animal welfare people. And he said, I would be more than happy to help you. And so he has been my mentor for the last 20 years. The work that I put out there is backed by his work. Right. And uh, I said, what I would like to do is I would like to take all of your information. I've worked with academics for many years. I'd like to take your information and put it somewhere where the rest of us can use it. Right. And he was 100% for that. And like I said, I, it, you know, when I when I speak, I, I speak from his all of his studies for the last, what, 40, 50 years of his life that he's done this work. Uh, before the show, we were talking about family caregivers. Yes. And um, you were talking about the mother daughter relationship. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> when, you know. All of the helping professions, the workers are, are at risk of psychologists, doctors, nurses, social workers, educators, law enforcement, animal welfare. They're all yeah. at risk for this. But family caregivers, you have another layer of intensity and emotion because you're caring for a loved one. Right. And uh, oftentimes the, the end product is not, you know, not a good one. And where I see it when, when I work with family caregivers is mother, mothers and daughters, um, there's a lot of unresolved issues that happened along the way, and now they've got the daughter taking care of the mother, or opposite, the mother taking care of the daughter, yeah. and all of these issues surface. All these triggers come out. And uh, I, to me, the answer is you've got to have that critical conversation. You've got to talk about it. I mean, if, if certainly the one whose care you know, is being taken care of, um, if, if he or she, excuse me, she is up to it, to talk about it and, and try to heal some of those old wounds because it can just be very, very contentious. I mean, I have, you know, uh, caregivers that just break down and cry and they say, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do my best. Right. And, and I'm not being thanked. I'm not being, you know, it's a horrible situation and I'm the only one that take, can take care of her. So critical conversations, effective communication, Share your feelings, be vulnerable, work with Dr. Brene Brown, be transparent. <laughs> Those, that's what we have to do. It isn't easy, but as yeah. time goes on, it will help the healing. Now, what do you mean by be vulnerable? Um, be open. I mean, okay. don't take the first step. Take the first step. Talk about how difficult the situation is. And, you know, if you really think about it, you can talk about the fact that you think there's probably some underlying issues that haven't been resolved. And 
would the person be, you know, amenable to, to doing something about that? Yeah. I, I think it's the only way you can move on. Otherwise, there's guilt and remorse and right. regret afterwards. And then you live with that for the rest of your life. Yeah, because it doesn't end if... Oh, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Yeah, I, I was going to say because if the, you know, the parent passes away, it still doesn't end. No, no. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, all of caregiving is difficult. I mean, there's no... Personally, I feel it's a gift. And I, and I try to get uh, participants in my workshops and trainings and when I give a keynote to to really try to reframe the burden that is caregiving and turn it into a gift. I mean, we are fortunate we're called to do that work. We can change a life. That's you a know? wonderful way to look at it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we can make the passage to the next whatever it is so much easier and peaceful for that person. I mean, what a gift. Yeah, because, you know, we all do. We talk about the burden of it, but we don't focus on it being a gift. Right, right. And it's, it's all about reframing. And then the other thing with family caregiving that I hear a lot is I'm the only one who does anything. Yeah. My brother won't even come and see my mother. Yeah. My sister says she can't handle it. Uh, she doesn't have time. And, you know, I went through this with my mom a few years ago. And my sister and I uh, are very, very close. And we worked on it together. We, we were with my mother every single day for two years. And my brother, it was hard on him, but he was excellent as the um, executor of her estate. He was excellent at making sure all of that was taken care of. Yeah. You know, that, that her money was there if we needed something or, or, you know, whatever. That was his gift to us. You take care of mom and I'll take care of this so you don't have to worry about it. And, and that's what I think, in, instead of trying to pull people in where they're so horribly uncomfortable, especially uh, mother and son. Yes. That, yes. That's a real rough one. Um, uh, you know, find out what that gift is. Maybe that, you know, your brother is a great cook. Right. And he lives close by and he can bring meals every other night. Uh, find some common ground where everyone feels they're doing something to help. And that is the perfect point because not everyone can do the same thing. Exactly. We're going to continue talking with Patricia Smith of the Compassion Fatigue Awareness Project. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4 250-pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you, 
in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. So, Patricia, I have the million-dollar question for you now. Okay. <laughs> so I, I um, took the professional quality of life scale. Okay. Uh, which is um, this uh, questionnaire about compassion, satisfaction, and yes. compassion fatigue. That, okay. that is our measurable. That's okay. what we use. Yes. I'm kind of a mess. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh. <clears throat> well, my, my burnout scale is very high. <laughs> uh, just... Yeah. Yeah, bur- burnout. The World Health Organization just named burnout in in your workplace as one of the the uh, most dangerous things that's going on in in the country. And it's like, you know, we we've known about this for decades, but now they actually recognize it. Yeah, uh, I, I um, my uh, my compassion, which is interesting, my compassion satisfaction scale was low. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay. So you've got you've got some work to do. Probably not work to do. You probably have some things to think about. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't really look sure. at your scores. But I can tell you what I know about those things. Okay. Um, your compassion, satisfaction. Perhaps you haven't really thought about what brings you joy in your work. Uh, I think the fact that you do this show and you talk to people and you bring incredible information out to the public would probably be a very high level of compassion satisfaction, right? That is. You're right. I think, Yeah. I think (laughs) what you have to do is sit with yourself with a nice cup of coffee or a cocktail, whatever works for you, (laughs) and start listing those things and become self-aware. What is it that makes me continue to do what I do? 
And um, I, I do this all the time with the work I do because I'm at the age where, you know, I'm, you know, could certainly be retired. And I have family members say, when are you going to give that up? I can't give it up. It means too much to me. Yeah. It means too much to go out in the field and talk to all these incredible people who are suffering because of the good work they're doing. And once they, you know, have a workshop and they become more self-aware, they have an aha moment. Many have an aha moment when they right. find out that what they feel and they think has a name, which is what happened to me. It was like, oh, yeah. all those years of these symptoms has a name. Now I can fix it. That's you know? right. That's right. So, oh, or you think, what's wrong with me? You yeah, know? There's, not, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong with me. I just had this particular set of symptoms called compassion fatigue, and there were things I could do. To make it better, and I started on a what I call the hero's journey, the work of Joseph Campbell, and started really working on myself, and and has brought me to a place where my life is a complete joy. I, I love what I do. I'm able to use my what I consider my real talent is my writing to write books and help people, and I hear back from them, and they say, and that's wow. wonderful. Yeah, so that's my compassion satisfaction. As far as your burnout, I I think everyone is burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're all just having a real rough time with everything that's going on these days, uh, particularly from Washington, D.C. doesn't matter what your political leaning is. It's a tough, tough time. Yeah. And um, and I'm hearing that from, you know, the helping professions everywhere. So um, I think uh, there are things you can do for burnout. You know, stress is too much. You've got too much coming at you. You've got too many yeah. people who want things. You go into burnout, burnout all of a sudden is not enough. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough direction. You don't have enough funding. You don't have enough anything. Right. And there are actual things you can do, you know. What What are some of the things uh, you can do? Well, first of all, for me, what I did was I simplified my life. Okay. How can I make my life more simple? What have I said yes to that I really need to go back and tell them I'm really, really sorry, but right now I need to pull back? Yeah. So that you have some room yeah. for yourself. And that's a hard thing to do. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's almost impossible for those of us that are, you know, the yeah. caregiving mentality. You you just, uh, I, I get, because I, I, I'm like, oh, you feel guilty. <laughs> yep. Yep. Guilt, Guilt, shame, selfish. Those are all things that need reframing. And it all, it takes work. But I'll tell you, the work is worth the outcome. You have to get those old tapes out of there and start thinking new ways. Yeah. Have affirmations for yourself. Put them where you can see them to remind you who you want to be, you know, who you actually authentically are and you've gotten off the track. Um, and then you have to ramp up the things that fill you up. The rhythm of a healthy caregiver is fill out, empty up, fill out, empty up, and that is all day long. That's not just every two weeks. Right. Going okay. to the gym once a week will not do it. It's a good thing. Keep it on the list. But you've got to do things every single day that fill you up. And and it can be, it's very personal. It has to be authentic yeah. to you. Uh, you know, if, if you like to climb mountains, find a little mountain to climb, you know, as often as possible. If you like sitting, reading quietly, do that. If you like talking to a trusted friend, do that. Walking, whatever it is, gardening, find that thing and do more of it. Because what you do is you're filling yourself up. And that's that's going to get you healthy. Yeah, because, you know, when you think about it, I mean, a caregiver, I think if you, you know, if you have a piece of paper and you divide it, what uh, filling up or emptying out, I would I can just say from myself, I think the emptying out is just, you know, has so many more things on it than the filling up. Exactly. I don't even, I don't even know if the filling up side has anything on it. 
<laughs> yep, yep, oh boy. <laughs> I need to come out and spend some time with you. Um, no, seriously, you are not alone. You yeah. are not alone. This is what I hear over and over, and it, it can be any helping profession or a family caregiver or people who know they have this. They say the same thing. I don't even know what fills me up. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the healing journey. I used to go on walks and I would look at a flower and I didn't even know if I liked that color or not. And I'd say to myself, do I like the color of that? I don't know. (laughs) And I started to build a little framework for myself. Yeah. What is it that I do love? I love reading. I love writing. I love animals. I love being with the people I care about. I love nature. And uh, that's why I moved up here to Friday Harbor from the San Francisco Bay Area. I needed to be closer to nature. And there was just too much cement everywhere that I was going. And so I made the move, and it has improved my life 100%. You know, I I think uh, a lot of us, you don't look inside for the answers. Nope. Healing is an inside job. It doesn't come from the outside. All those things we often think we do to make us healthy are out there. And what we need to do is take time for ourselves. And, and, you know, our our nation particularly, I mean, we're go-getters. Right. who we've been and look at what we're looking at tomorrow's the 4th of July right um you know we're doers we're progress is a huge thing you know sometimes it's sit, sit back and say I don't need to progress this week I'm just going to be who I am and I'm going to drink coffee and I'm going to talk to my friends and I'm going to do my work but I'm going to fill myself up with some things that really make me satisfied yeah life is so short it's so short no that's I mean it's very true and uh you know, what, thinking about, you know, filling up and emptying out. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a, a simple concept to think about, but, you know, you don't think about it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's true, because oftentimes when I'm speaking, I'll say, no, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to say, oh, she's so simple. Good grief. <laughs> but that's not going to make any difference. You know, one of the absolute best things you can do for yourself when you're stressed is take some time to breathe deeply. I just came into this about a year ago. I used to read about breathing deeply, and I thought, oh, come on. But you know what? It's nature's way of calming us down. And Mm. when you're a firefighter or an ER nurse or a hospice worker who's about to lose someone, and you feel your body just saying, oh, my gosh, you know, the trauma is hitting me, deep breaths in and out along with mindful meditation. You've probably heard a lot about mindful meditation. Yes. Everybody is using it. It's the only thing. It's staying in the now. It's staying right where you are. And when when you're with other people, particularly people that have been traumatized and you're trying to be a caregiver for them, just being 100% present for them and active listening is the absolute best thing you can do for them. They just want to be heard. Uh, Yeah. And the deep breathing puts you in a place where you actually can do that. Can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Are your workshops open to the public? Uh, for the most part, no. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be a conference or something. But 20 years ago, when, when I started the Compassion Fatigue Awareness Project, I had decided because I was doing other work. I worked in health care. I worked in elder care. Uh, I, you know, I, other things to support myself. Um, I had decided, along with my son, uh, who's my webmaster and has been with me for 20 years on this journey, uh, decided that I would just let it grow organically. Okay. And so people will contact me all the time that I want to do what you're doing. How did you do it? I don't know what we did. All we did was put up the website and then I wrote some books and then I had people start contacting me. We had, you know, Patricia Compassion Fatigue and they started contacting, you know, me to to speak. 
and I've, we don't have any money for publicizing. We don't, you know, do any of that. Yeah. Uh, they find me, and it's been an array of interesting, interesting caregivers. Uh, a few years back, I spoke to 350 state of Texas hostage negotiators. Wow. These were in San Antonio, Texas. These were the folks who were with the Branch Davidians, oh the my David gosh. Koresh thing. Yeah. And they were all still horribly traumatized. Oh, my uh, gosh. A couple of months ago, I was in Baltimore. I heard from the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And the director there called me. and She said, we need you to come out and speak. And I said, well, I'm going to give you four questions, a little survey to find out what exactly are the issues that are causing trauma. Because I thought a library? Yeah. I, I didn't right. understand. Right. Anyway, she got right back to me. And there were things like people show, out, show up without their library card. People show up with books that they've written in. Uh, people lose their books. So I, I called her back and I said, I think you need a customer service person. I don't think I'm the right person for you. And she said, oh, no, we need you. Apparently what's gone on, and this is something I completely missed in the last probably 10 years where it's become a huge issue, is homeless, mentally ill, drug abusers use oh. the library as their resting place. And it makes sense. Wow. Number one, yeah. librarians are caregivers. They want to help them. They want to make it better. Right. It's warm. There's water. There's bathrooms. During the winter, there's often a fireplace. And this is where they go. Wow. But they also bring all kinds of, of dysfunction yes. that the librarians are not, you know, trained to do. Trained to so, do, yeah. So I said, I'm coming out. And it was one of the best sessions ever, I think, wow. with, you know, about 100 state librarians. And they just poured their heart out. And what they're doing is they're, they're partnering. They're not trying to solve the problems. They're partnering with the firefighters and the law enforcement and the social workers. So when they go in the bathroom and there's someone who's had an overdose or, you know, overdose, yeah. they know who to call. Right, right. And that's healthy caregiving. Yeah. They're not being called to solve these issues. They're not trained. They are trained to help. So like I said, it's just, it's just been a fascinating thing, and, and whoever calls, I go. And what is your website? It's www.compassionfatigue.org. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm, I'm happy to, and uh, email me if you want to chat. About I, your burnout? I definitely will. I know. I looked at that score. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you're, you. You're making a difference. Well, thank you, and thank you. And parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them in. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We love our parents, but parents sure are hard to raise. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.